Hello, and welcome to the fire pit at the heart of the forest, at the time between times, the time it's neither night nor day, but the sun has gone and the sky is grey, the time when the veil between our world and the fairy world is wafer, wafer thin, and tonight it is even thinner than usual, as it is my joy to have with me at the fire pit at the heart of the forest, the host of the Modern Fairy Sightings podcast, Joe Hickey Hall. Hello, Joe, and how are you? Hello, Owen. I'm very well indeed. Thank you. It is so nice to have you here in this magical place, surrounded by trees and shadows and shadows, shadows, where the Tulwith Teg flit from shadow to shadow, where tales are told, and for someone like you who has had fairy tales literally on the tip of their tongue for the last couple of years with the Modern Fairy Sightings podcast. This must be a place where you truly feel at home. Yeah, I, I wish I'd bought a brandy now. I, d I didn't think this out properly. should have bought a, a flask of something with me. <laughs> ah, that's fine. We have each other to speak anyway. But I, I'd love, I'm so glad you're here, Joe, and I, I'm really happy to, to chat with you. I mean, you're someone I've followed for quite a while on um uh, with the podcast and I can clearly remember a few years ago just walking my dog in the woods which is a place a really magical place um, you've seen the photographs I often post and listening for the first time to the the modern fairy sighting podcast and thinking wow here is a place where these stories are now legitimized and people are able to tell them to an audience and it has brought so many people almost out of the shadows with their own sightings and their own um, visions and their own things that have happened to them, which maybe even a few years ago would have been quite um, unusual to talk about. But now you've got this magical place. It must be something you're really proud of. Oh, I I, I absolutely love the project. Thank you so much for, for your kind words there. Um, and equally, I remember when, you know, you reached out to me and we, we got to know each other through our shared interests too and that was really lovely and I think that's kind of the most beautiful part of this project and particularly over the last four years and and kind of what we've all been going through just that sense of shared interest and community and I don't know about you I'm sure you find the same but the kind of people that contact me and that I speak to are just so amazing and warm-hearted and I couldn't think of spending the last four years with with you know any other group of people because I just have found it a very kind of humbling experience that people will contact you know nowadays now that the the pod is kind of up and running and, and people have, um, have found it in various different ways that I was like hearing about to have someone write and say, you know, I, I listened to you 
this episode and it really spoke to me because this is what happened to me you know and I I haven't been able to really talk to anybody about this so thank you for doing this and I really know how that feels because um it certainly reminds me of when I started out and uh you know sharing though my story with people when I was collecting stories uh, for magical folk Simon Young's book um back in 2016 and just to sit with folk and share stories with each other was so liberating actually um it was kind of strange because we it, it was quite an unusual situation because usually it might be me telling somebody close to me that i could felt i could trust that you know hopefully you might understand um but i hadn't really spoken to anyone who'd had their own experiences so i do remember for myself what that was like to hear someone else tell their story and just be like yeah yeah you know it might not what? be the same but it's uh, the same as my own but there were there were there was a flavor to it that i recognized yeah and you're from Jersey, yeah, which is, um, you know, you're the only person I know from Jersey, which is, is a, I've never been to Jersey, um, but I know it's a magical place. There are so many stories. There are so many legends. There are so many, um, it's a little bit isolated. So it, it has that sort of almost magic air to it that you, you hear about so much. When you were growing up there, did you always have an interest in the supernatural or was there a moment or something that awakened that in, in you and, and got you down in on this road which you travel now? Yeah, that's interesting because um, just from as far back as I can remember, it's not like I had an interest in the supernatural. I kind of lived it, to be honest with you. From a really early age, I was having interesting experiences um, that I thought were normal, that I thought everybody had those kinds of experiences. Um, and it was always like that. But I particularly, when I think about my relationship with the supernatural, as it were, there are a couple of sources that uh, provided a sense of what that other world might look and feel like. Um, and one was my dad's bedtime stories. He's Irish. He's no longer with us, sadly. He died in 2014. Um, and so he used to tell me these... He, he had brilliant imagination. He was amazing. And he had actually had his own experiences, which, you know, he... Um, you know, he, he, he told just me and my mum about actually um didn't really talk about them to people um but he had this fantastic imagination and I do not know where he got these stories from I I have a sense and I can't remember where I found I found out at some point that these stories had been passed down the family and I tried to ask my uncle about this before he passed away a couple of years back um, and I haven't been able to get to the bottom of it, but I hope someday through my older cousins I might be able to find out because these were such potent stories about usually what would happen in the stories that, a, you know, a child would be playing with their siblings or playing with other children. And because he was telling me about his own childhood where he grew up in rural Cork 
Uh, he's born in the mid mid 1930s, and um, it was a very poor area actually that he grew up grew up in. Um, and he, that you know, they didn't have toys as such, but um, they used to make their own fun and and go out, you know, into the lanes playing. And and anyway, so it's kind of like the basis of the story would be that a young child would be out playing and then it would get to sort of twilight time and get to dusk and they'd have lost their way and they would suddenly find themselves near a fairy fort and they would hear the words of their you know older brothers or sisters or family saying you know beware beware the fairies and you know don't go in the fairy fort and he would tell me about these particular circles in the grass these uh you know where where patch of, of grass was darker within the circle than the outside of uh, the, the surrounding area and how this child would find themselves sort of sitting in that circle and and kind of adventures that would take place from there and that they would meet the fairies and I don't remember them being they, they weren't kind of cutesy stories they weren't terrifying either and I, I, you know they were good stories and you don't get enough of that nowadays um, yeah, I, I bought a book for my daughter in a charity shop while we were in court a couple of years ago. And um, and it's blimmin' brilliant. It's so good. And it's all modern writers. And it's all kind of takes on, um, you know, sort of traditional folklore, but with that darker twist. And it's for kids. Um, it's so well done. And I, perhaps I'll let you know the name of that so you mm. can share it with people. But, yeah, these stories were would send me off to sleep and goodness knows what I dreamt <laughs> took me to places I'm sure uh, and the other source would have been Ina Blyton's The Enchanted Wood The Folk of the Faraway Tree um, and dad read, read me those too and we also got read those at school in the, in the school canteen so while we were having our lunch um, so um and I and I loved this idea of this ancient tree in the forest and the children that would, you know, go off to play in, in the woods and they would meet the fairy folk there and go off on all these adventures. So um, that was kind of my link with fairies as a kid, but I, I definitely was not a sort of... I never really dressed up as fairies or played fairies or had fairy toys or wands or anything like that nothing like that um it really sort of didn't although i love continued to you know love you know blighton and read those uh, those fairy tales to my own kids um I, I was never kind of into fairies but i was into in my teens i was into sort of more esoteric stuff um yeah rather than stuff things like crystals to begin with in dreams and things like that you've been known for for many years like you say you were writing with simon young and um some research you've done as well and in the folklore community you've always been around that area i know it like a lot of us in and, and you've talked about it a lot on your on your show about uh, a sort of an, an awakening a sort of a um a creative awakening if you like amongst the community and the way that some of us are being drawn to our roots and yeah. things that we really enjoy and i believe this um was one of the catalysts for the the modern fairy sightings podcast it was a must have been a big leap for you someone who did a lot of research a lot of writing to actually take that leap 
to have a podcast where you would interview people who had fairy sightings in the way that you do it. How did that come about? I know that you'd you'd done a bit of, of on the fairy project before, but how did you when was the moment you decided to do that? Well, that that was really strange because um, I had come to Bristol to study a master's. Uh, I'll try and make this as kind of as concise as possible. Um, I'd come over in 2014. I'd been very lucky. I'd got a scholarship from Jersey to study a master's in history. But while I was in Jersey, uh, my first degree had been um, it had a, a sort of social social research focus so I had kind of been doing my own bits of social research while doing other jobs for local government and things like that in Jersey um, and I loved social research absolutely loved it that was just yeah that, that was definitely my preferred way of um, approaching subjects is to actually ask people and when I came to Bristol I was wanting to look at ritual in ancient sites that's kind of what I thought I was going to come and study um, and when I met Professor Ronald Hutton because um, I was taking one of his modules pagan studies I think it was ancient and modern pagan studies or something like that anyway it was fantastic to be able to you know uh, study with one of my heroes if you like mm. people that I've been mm. following um, and it was actually Ronald that said to me, why don't you have a look at the medieval Irish fairies, the she? So, you know, I, I kind of got catapulted into, into that world because I, I then joined the Folklore Society, went along to a conference, met Mark Norman. Mark knew that I was researching fairies. Um, and asked me to join him in writing the Devon chapter for that book, uh, Magical Folk. So while we were writing that, we thought it would be a really good twist to actually speak to people about modern encounters, because this was a kind of very academic take. The book was written by a series of, of um, you know, contributors, mostly from academic backgrounds, um, but quite a few of us in that book included um, real life encounters that they had managed to track down and you know for me as someone that had had my own experience of seeing a fairy which ronald did not know anything about by the way so it's just even more interesting that he kind of pushed me towards that area yeah. because that wasn't an area that i would have um, looked at um so we I, I just i was very excited to to, to further that to 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 kind of pick up the social research again but to look to look at these experiences you know I'd really enjoyed talking to people about their experiences for the book and I just wanted to continue that so I came back to Bristol started up the modern fairy sightings um, Facebook group that started to grow and and it was fantastic I, I I was speaking to people just interviewing them purely for research purposes I wasn't sure actually what I was going to do with that and I and I I, this is the thing with uh, how I found, you know, my, my life really is that it's, it's kind of breadcrumbs. You 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 never really see the full picture of what's ahead. You're you're just for me. I'm kind of intuitively doing the things that I really love doing, 
and that I'm drawn to do and I kind of just trust that and then suddenly the next part of it's revealed and the next part of it's revealed so it's not like I ever set out to say right I'm going to do study fairies and do this that's not happening like that at all um, so what happened was I thought that these experiences would probably form part of a PhD because I knew that I wanted to look into this further and then in 2020 March 2020 um, you know lockdown happened and like many of us as you say um, something shifted big 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 shift fated sort of shift and I knew that um, I would need to look after myself during this period. We have a really young child and two older, you know, sort of more grown-up ones. Um, and I had work and I had this project, which was nothing to do with my day job at the time. And um, so I knew that I'd, I had a lot kind of going on. And if we were going to get through that period I um, and support my family, I would need to look after myself. So I started doing this 21-day abundance um, Deepak Chakra Chopra uh, well-being um, it's like a sort of chain mail thing that came around on whatsapp and a few of my friends were doing it and they were saying how good it was and so I thought okay well I'll do that so it meant that I was meditating every day and I'd, I'd, I had done meditation I'd done a lot of meditation in my life but never every day I'd just not been you know organized enough perhaps <laughs> to do that uh, so I, I thought no I need to do this so what I was finding in that meditation was that these this idea kept coming these it was just very very clear to do a podcast and it wouldn't go away so at the end of that three weeks um, I thought well I'm gonna have to look into this because this idea is is really very clear so I'm gonna have to trust it and just kind of yeah scrape the surface see what I can do and so I just kind of looked up some free um, like guides online and started creating the podcast. And it took me from March to November to um, get myself together and record three interviews. And then I released those three in the November in 2020. And I had no idea how it would be received, but I it was I could, it was just pouring through me. That's all I can say. It was like mm. this, and I've always said this about this project. It's not coming from me; it's coming through me. Um, without wanting to sound a you know a bit silly mm. or uh, that I'm you know anything other than a, a very normal person, <laughs> I just really loved what I was doing and it was like I had to almost kind of like step back and just let this take its own route and this is exactly how it's always been and continues to be um so I don't really tend to make decisions about how it's gonna you know what's gonna happen next it just sort of shows me if you like um and it might just be even I don't particularly have themes and I think oh well you know the next six months I'm going to focus on this theme I just start getting emails from people about particular themes and it sort of just tends to work like that so so yeah that's kind of how it came about and and I I, I just feel very honored to be doing this
It, it was incredible. I can remember coming across it and the photo, the, the picture you've got of the gnome's face um, came up on my, pod, my podcast feed. And I can remember listening to it thinking, well, what's this going to be about? And I was sort of enraptured by it almost from the first off. And within a couple of weeks, I bought Marjorie Johnson's book. Um, and I was really fascinated by all things um, fairy, if you like. I'm someone who's always told stories about um, the fae. We've talked um, about my own experiences in the past, and you've alluded to often having the fairies in your mind and uh, as a child when you were in Jersey, etc. I know you've had your really quite extraordinary fairy experience, which you've talked about on, on your podcast and people can, can hear there. Prior to that, did you actually believe in fairies or, um, or seeing fairies or knowing fairies, or, or did you see them as just a figment of your imagination or stories or or dreams really before that yes it's really funny i at the point when i did have a fairy experience i did not believe that you could see fairies mm -hmm. i had been as i say into kind of esoteric stuff i'd learned healing i was practicing healing um i was into all kinds of things, seeing auras, which I still see very easily, and it's a very simple thing to be able to learn. It's not, uh, um, it's not difficult at all. So I was kind of really accepting of other realms and other states of awareness and all of that. But I remember the woman that taught me a lot of these um, skills, these techniques, healing and, and whatnot, and seeing auras. Um, she had once said, just casually during a break in one of the workshops I used to attend, that she'd seen a fairy, and and I and I just thought that was completely ridiculous, and I couldn't actually work out why she was saying that, because it couldn't possibly be true. So why she's saying it? It really flummoxed me. Um, and then, and then it, yeah. It, I had my own experience and, and once that happens there's there's no going back then there really is no going back i mean I, I think the year before that i had gone to a a healing workshop in which i'd had this life-changing experience and and that was i think probably partly re responsible for you know my opening as it were to be able to to have that experience with seeing a fairy because i my life and my perspective on the world had shifted so entirely from that healing experience that um yeah it 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 switched it, it, it flicked a switch and and that, and that was that so um at that time no i i definitely didn't think it was possible um so i i can relate to to folk that just can't quite get their head around it i do understand that it is hard to get your head around that but it's amazing that the people who come on your show and some of them with stories that are quite incredible and you you deal with this in such a non-judgmental way which is what i love about it so much is that you you always take the story as it is and you put in a bit about your own experience you listen to what the people have to say and this is why and there's so much respect for you from the guests as well, I believe. Um, the store, the, the show has been going for a number of years now, and I've just seen it grow and grow and grow. And, and um, 
the guests coming forward seem seem bolder. The stories are changing. We've had loads of different special episodes. You know, one about seeing Santa Claus or hearing uh, the bells ringing and things like that. Where would you like to see it in maybe five years' time? I know you've got this ongoing fairies project. Um, where would you like to see it, and and how? Um, you know, will it? Will it? Is it something that you will keep going for a, a long period of time? I honestly don't know. And from the beginning, I said that this would continue as long as I felt I kind of had permission to do it, if you like. And I and I, I go, and that is from the other world, <laughs> the the fairies. Um, I, I I'm not saying that I have like a you know a, a, a constant conversation or anything like that, but I I. I go out and I will meditate and I will just open to a sense of is this okay or or not um, and I receive and I trust what I receive back and anybody can do this as I say it's just opening and, and, and trusting what you receive so as long as it feels right then I will continue I have no idea what it would be doing in five years time and I, I just yeah I wouldn't like to say because <laughs> it just really depends where it wants to flow um I mean at the moment I'm writing a book and even that was quite a big decision to take because you know I'm sort of juggling all, all the, 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 the uh, podcast and and family um and at the time work as well um, but I've switched to doing the podcast as my job now. So it's kind of on the one hand, you you haven't got your day job, but it, on the other hand, this is now your day job and probably, you know, yeah, it's, it's all encompassing. Um, so to write the book, I need to, you know, sort of make space for that too. So it's, yeah, it, it's quite tricky to sort of, to to find the balance but I think that you know the stories that people are sharing are so inspiring and I agree they have actually kind of developed in a, in a way I've seen a big shift from when I started out to now a lot more people talking about these subjects uh, talking about their experiences particularly fairies, uh, and that's great to see I think that you know we've all been through a tricky time and and it feels like it's important to just speak our truth simple as that that's why that's what i feel anyway that's um, great joe yeah. that's fantastic and uh, long may it continue and long may it be that safe space for people to share their stories and and it's one of the most inclusive podcasts I, I, I know where people actually come and, uh, and, can, and can tell their story, no matter what that may be. And it's sort of universally supported by, by the listeners as well, which is, which is lovely. And I've had the, the pleasure of meeting some of your Patreon followers and, and uh, telling them stories as well. And they seem such nice people as well. They really are, yeah. We, um, the night starts to grow dark and the, the shadows are lengthening here. And when you... When you arrived, you, you said there was a story that you'd like me to tell. Um, do you want to tell the listeners what that story is and, and why you've chosen it for tonight? Yes, I would. So this story is from Dermot McManus's The Middle Kingdom. Uh, it was actually first, people might know it as Irish Earth Folk as well. So it's published in 1959. 
and this story is the lizard spell and this is about a young woman so uh, Dermot McManus is from Kiltimar in County Mayo and the stories that he collected were all from the people that lived around you know where he lived these were all people that he knew or friends of friends and they were all kind of still alive at the time because he wanted to make it so that if anybody wanted to go and check these stories out they could and um yeah so this this story is about a young woman who is just on her first independence from from leaving home she's gone to work in Dermot McManus's auntie's estate a grand house in, in Kiltimar and um, lizard means high fort so this is a, a hill a fairy fort and it was you know a local you know beautiful beautiful spot that she decides to go and walk up to and she gets what we might call pixie lead it's sometimes known as the stray sod in in Ireland and other places and it's just I mean I don't know how much time we've got left to before you introduce the story but um, what I find really fascinating about this is that some of the aspects of the story we see in in the stories that people come and tell on the podcast that you know she's it's this kind of liminal state she's moving from childhood to adulthood and then you know she's up there in the sport and the atmosphere changes and it becomes it becomes you know reality shifts for her which is something that we see quite a lot um, and she's physically unable to to leave this place so it's quite a creepy story and I think you know the uh, Dermot McManus he entirely believed this what uh, you know these stories that he, he wrote about um, and I think he did a really great job of gathering some excellent encounters and presenting them in a very sort of no-nonsense way which I really like and um, you know you get to hear this account and what's interesting also is the way that she then does manage to get back to his to, to the estate and the people there are willing to accept her story too so that that's the kind of there's a sort of a bit of a sad shift there between that culture in in 1959 which is already changing a lot but you know now we're sort of what 60 years 60 odd years later um, and how many people would actually believe a young woman that had gone missing, believe her story that she'd been, you know, kept up, up at a fort by the fairies these days. But um, I think what's interesting, he, he, he says at the end of the story that no reasonable person could doubt her story. And I like to think that people that listen to my amazing guests that come on my podcast and tell their stories would say the same when you actually hear someone's first hand story you no reasonable person could could doubt it once you've heard that from from the horse's mouth that's great joe and i can't wait to tell it and just before i do before i ask you to just sit back relax and listen to a tale traditionally told can i thank you ever so much for joining me here at the fire pit at the heart of the forest Joe Hickey Hall, the host of the Modern Fairy Sightings podcast, which you can find wherever you get your podcast. When can we expect the book, Joe? Oh, well, now you're asking. Um, 
I think some sometime sometime next year. I think now, yeah, sometime next year. And I, I look forward to sharing that with you, Owen. And thank you so much for having me on, and thank you for your amazing podcast too, which we absolutely love. And my husband is a huge fan in particular, so he's. I think that he's. This is the interview that he's been most excited about that, I, that I've. I've done so. <laughs> ah, that's so great. Thank no, you so much. <laughs> no problem at all. And um, just please keep on the podcast. Keep pushing on. Keep listening to what um, what the fairies tell you, really, and, and get it out there because it's so amazing and it brings so many people together. And if anything, you're a Marjorie Johnson for the 21st century here because you're gathering yeah. all these tales from all over the place and putting them together somewhere where everyone can listen to them. And I think that's something you can be really proud of, Joe. Thank you so, so much. What a huge compliment. Thank you. So sit back, relax, close your eyes, and let us hear the lizard spell. The lizard spell by Dermot McManus, read by Owen Staten. In 1935, my aunt, then the occupant for life of our family home in Mayo, required a companion help for her nurse housekeeper. With some care, she chose a very nice, intelligent and steady girl of 19, B.M., who came from a respected family of prosperous small farmers in the little townland of Milik, about three or four miles away to the north. This girl had never left home before, and so, under my aunt's meticulous care, her life continued to be sheltered and controlled. She was introduced to three or four of the leading local farmers, all ex-tenants and family friends and supporters of ours for many generations, and her visits were restricted to them. Particularly included in this select list was a very respected family of the nurse housekeepers under whose immediate charge the girl was. One Saturday, after her first six or seven weeks at the big house, having the afternoon off, she decided to spend it with the Solons, the housekeeper's family. As it was a bright, sunny day, and she was feeling rather homesick, she thought that she would climb Lissard, the famous fairy fort, which was less than a quarter of a mile behind the house and not much out of her road to the Solons. From it she could look across the country and see the roofless round tower of Milik. She was to be back in the house by seven o'clock, in time for the evening meal and long before darkness would set in. But at seven o'clock she had not returned. And then, at eight o'clock, there was still no sign of her. A messenger was dispatched to the farm. He soon returned with the alarming news that she had never been there, and it did not take much longer to get the same replies from all the other cottages in the neighbourhood. Then, indeed, the alarm became serious, and as by this time it was dark, several search parties provided with lanterns were at once organised to scour the surrounding country thoroughly. The search was prosecuted vigorously for seven hours, and not till eleven o'clock and midnight did the various parties come back to the big house, having then 
abandoned their efforts as hopeless. Only a few minutes after the last party returned, B.M. walked herself through the open door and collapsed on a settee where she burst into tears. It was clear the poor girl was in a state of utter exhaustion and nervous strain, but she was young and healthy, and with the warmth of a kitchen fire and a good hot cup of strong tea soon made her all right again. The story she had to tell was astonishing, and the neighbours listened spellbound as she unfolded her adventures, the lilt of her soft country voice dominating the room. It seems that on her way to the Solons she had walked off as had planned to the left axis of the fields to the foot of Lis Ard. All went well as she climbed its steep slopes, clambered over the surrounding bank, crossed the ditch and made her way through the beechwood covering its centre till she reached the summit. It was a lovely summer's day, and she stood and looked between the trees out and across the country to admire distant Nephin rising its majestic and solid bulk away to the northwest. Then her eyes wandered nearer home until she saw Dunoth, the roofless round tower of Milik, till recently the centre of her youthful life. Though she could not make out for certain her own home, yet all the distant features, woods, bogs and hillocks were plucking at her heartstrings. For some time she gazed at them, then she looked down beneath her at the small farms and cottages nestling snugly by their lanes, one of which was her new destination. She followed with her eyes the winding back avenue as it passed field and wood till it merged into the road which led to these small, tidy farms. She felt a little chilly now, though it was early summer, her thin new frock, a nice red shot silk one, sent to her by relatives in America, was no protection from the cool hill breezes. So she walked down, gaily, towards a gap in the outer bank. And as she reached, an incredible thing took place. She had just got to the opening, when she felt a queer kind of jerk, a muscular jerk, inside her rather than from the outside, and before she realised what had happened, she found herself walking quickly in exactly the opposite direction towards the centre of the wood again. It was a moment or two before she could collect her wits sufficiently to stop herself and turn back. As yet, she had not the slightest idea of anything supernormal but just smiled to herself at her silly mistake, as she imagined it to be, and started off again for the same gap. But when she reached it, exactly the same thing happened, and in exactly the same way. Then, indeed, astonishment seized her, soon giving way to fear. She stood for a few moments, looking about her and fighting back the panic rising in her breast, as she looked at the quiet, friendly wood around her and the smiling, sunny countryside beyond and beneath it, her panic left her, 
and she tossed her head and boldly stepped out again, this time making for the point on the bank where she had entered. She tried to climb over it here, and it looked quite easy, for the ditch was shallow and the bank was low. But now she received her greatest shock, for she felt as if an invisible wall was there, and she could not pass. Whether it was all just in her mind, or whether it was an invisible objective structure, she cannot to this day be sure. But it was nonetheless a fact that along that bank there was a line which she was quite unable to pass, even to stretch her arm across. She walked along the ditch to her right, her breath catching in deep gasps that were very near to sobs as she tried again and again to cross that eerie line, fortifying herself with an intensity of prayer, but all to no purpose. After stumbling along the ditch over the stones and roots for some distance, she stopped and turned back to the top of the rise. She felt strongly within herself that it would be fatal for her to sit down or lie down or to relax in any way before this unseen power. But she must keep herself alert and active, ready to take the first chance of escape without a moment's delay, or worse, might well befall her. And now, the feeling of serene friendliness, which she had felt before the surrounding fort left her, she sensed with an ever-growing intensity, a feeling of hostility and personal resentment flooding towards her like an angry mountain stream in spate. It came, she was sure, from some point on the northwest edge of the fort, but beyond that conviction, she was quite mystified. However, she kept as far away as it as she could down by the bank and gaps to the southeast round the point where she had entered. At last, the sun began to set and twilight came on, to be followed only too rapidly by the darkness of a moonless night, the utter impenetrable blackness which country people know so well like a wild animal in a cage, she kept moving up and down that stretch of ditch and probing the bank in a ceaseless effort to find a way through the magic wall which inexorably shut her in. Soon, coldness and tiredness added their weight to her distress, and at last she saw a lantern bobbing up and down in the distance. It came steadily nearer, and in a short time she could make out the figures of three or four men. As they came nearer, she still shouted and called at the top of her voice in a frenzy of hopeful excitement. They came nearer and nearer, and she could hear their voices calling. In answer, she hopefully thought to her own cries. They came up the hill and walked along outside the bank, waving the lantern and calling her name. Indeed, at one time, they were not more than twenty or thirty yards from her. By this time, she was standing on the high ground, just inside the ditch, in full view, while she desperately called to them. But they passed on, unable to see or hear her through that magic wall, standing invisibly between them. So they moved away, 
leaving her behind and still powerless in her invisible prison. It was too dark for her to move, except in great care, and as soon as this party had left, she could only return to her restless, groping up and down the dry ditch, always looking for a way out. In this darkness, the time seemed indeterminable, the silent monotony only broken twice by the more distant sight of two other search parties moving along with their swinging lights. At last, another party appeared, moving past the bottom of the hill on its way back to the house. It was too far away for a hail, and she was looking at it wistfully, when suddenly she realised that the invisible barrier to her had disappeared. At once, without any further trouble, she clambered out through a gap and stood for a moment on the dark slope of the hill, exulting with thankfulness to heaven that she was now free. But she did not yet feel safe. So she had lost no time in following the lantern before her. Having to move gingerly in the dark, she could not overtake the party. No one heard her calls. So she gave up hailing and concentrated all her energies on getting down safely to the path that ran at the foot of the hill. Once on it, she lost no time, as well can be imagined, for making her way back to the house. No reasonable person listening to her could doubt her story, and though she was closely questioned, she never deviated once even in a detail. Nor has she ever done since. No house had received her that day, for such a possibility was checked upon again and again. There could be no doubt at all about her physical exhaustion, which was inevitable after standing such long hours and in such distress, that her frock was quite clean, unstained and uncreased, was further evidence that she had not slept or rested anywhere. Thank you.